Well, good morning, everyone. It's so great to be together in church. I'm excited to start a brand new message series with you today on the book of Philippians. And how great was that? I mean, come on. Four families just saying, that's just, I love those moments. You know, we got four more families in the second service today. We're celebrating with eight different families who got babies they're bringing and just praying together as a, as a church family. I'm so excited about that. And if you are a parent of uh, a baby or an infant or a child and you would like to see them dedicated in church, we would love to serve your family in that way. And you can go ahead and let us know online uh, via our homepage. We've got a form at the bottom, a connection form that you can fill out, send that into the church. We'll get you registered for the next time that we're having a baby dedication Sunday. It's going to be great together. Well, I'm excited to get into week number one of the book of Philippians. We're actually going to go step by step, one week per chapter, and walk through this book of Philippians. And there's a little bit of feedback on my voice. So is Pastor Troy around somewhere in the house? Cayenne is back at the back. Cayenne, can you just hit that feedback for me, bro? I just hear it in my ears, and you know me. Feedback and me are not friends. Now, chapter one of Philippians, and now I want to preach a message to you this morning on the subject of flip it. Come on, somebody say flip it. Flip it. We just came off a hey DJ. I just kind of can't get it out of my mind. You know, it's like flip it. Come on. We're still going to be DJing around this place. But I want to talk about flip it. And here's where the idea of flip it comes from. There is a big difference between what's going on in the Apostle Paul's life and the way he's reacting to what's going on. It's like, you ever had someone in your life react in a way completely opposite to what you expected? Anyone? Can you think of a story? You can picture it. I know uh, in marriage, I've had this happen a number of times. Pastor Rachel has reacted in the opposite at times way as to how I expected her to react. And, you know, one of these moments really stands out for me because it wasn't such a meaningless moment. It was a big moment. It was the moment I first told her I loved her. I know. <laughs> Let me give you a little backstory of how we met. We met in 2001 at a church called Christian Life Assembly at a young adult event. Christian Life Assembly being the church that sent us out Two years ago to start Resonate Church. We love CLA. Well, we met at CLA, and it was a young adult event, but it was a quick hello. It was just a hi, nice to meet you. My name is Rachel. My name is Shane. That was it. Well, a year, I didn't see her for years. Big church, 1,400 seats in the auditorium, three to four services on a Sunday. It's not really easy to just run into people all the time, and so it wouldn't be for another year until Rachel would actually sit right in front of me uh, one row in front of me, and then they did kind of what we did this morning, which is connect with the people around you. And she turned around, and I was just a little bit too eager, and I was like, Rachel! And as soon as the word came out of my mouth, I was like, oh, she thinks I'm stalking her. Who remembers someone after just a quick greeting a year later and is really excited to say their name? <laughs> my fears didn't last too long because she looked up at me. I was a little higher the row up a little bit, and she said, yeah, and you're Shane, right? And I'm like, that's right. You know my name. <laughs> Fast forward to a year later, and we would start then dating, and I would then, after a number of months dating, move away to medicine, had to just be a part of a church that a friend of mine had planted, and there was an opportunity to be involved in ministry there, and so we decided that we would try a long-distance relationship. Well, then, the first trip she came out, by that first trip, I was hopeful in my heart that this was going to be the woman that I was going to marry. I mean, come on, Pastor Rachel, happy Valentine Day, Valentine's Day again, babe. I mean, just baby, you know what I mean? And... I was, I was hopeful that this would be the woman that I could marry. And so I worked up the courage to tell her that I loved her. 
And she looked at me kind of like, Like, she couldn't have looked more shocked if I had accidentally tased her. Like, she just looked <laughs> stunned, shocked. Apparently, I was sending mixed messages. Ladies, anyways. <laughs> I was like, come on, how do you resist this charm? When you tell someone that you love them, what are you expecting in return? Well, you're hoping, right? Of course. It wouldn't be until two months later where she would say to me, I love you. And I pray the Pastor Rachel anointing over our girls all the time. I'm like, come on, girls. You will resist charm. Doesn't matter what that boy says to you in Jesus' name. You stand your ground. You know who you are. You don't just react and respond to some boy's little fluffy words. Come on, that's just words. Jesus' name. She didn't react how I expected her to react. Now, the book of Philippians is the best biblical example of a reaction completely different to what we would expect. This whole letter is about joy. You can read it in just a few minutes. It's four short chapters. And yet 16 times over those four chapters, the Apostle Paul, uh, the writer of this letter, it's talking about joy. And the reason it's the inverse of what we would expect, the reason it is a flip, is that the Apostle Paul's writing from prison. Now, I want to tell you about the church that he's writing to. He's got a long-term relationship with this church. It's a historically significant church in the city of Philippi. Paul had planted it 10 years prior to him writing this letter. He's got this history with this church. It actually was the very first Christian church planted in Europe. So there's a history and a backstory to it. Well, the Apostle Paul was there planting this church. He'd actually been in prison then at that time, too. And if you go to Acts chapter 16, you can read about it, how Paul was imprisoned. And you, know, you might know the story. Him and his buddy Silas are praying around about midnight. And all of a sudden, there's an earthquake, and the prison doors and chains get shaken, and the chains come off, and they're free. So Paul's got this incredible history and this incredible backstory with this Church, And now he's writing to them some 10, 12 years later, and he's writing to them, why? Because he wants to mature them. It's an established church. They love God. They're growing in God, and yet he wants to grow them further and mature them. And what is the maturity that he wants to call out of this house? It's joy at all times. In fact, that's the theme text for us from uh, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4. Paul writes this, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I mean, this is the level of maturity that I want to call you to church. It's constant joy. That's, you want a marker of some spiritual maturity, it's going to be some constant joy. And Paul's like, listen, I know you don't think you heard me right. I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. This is the way the message translation says it. He says, celebrate God all day, every day. I mean, revel in him. Come on, resonate, church. So we're going to have four great weeks as we talk about joy, but we're also going to dive into the context because he's sitting in a Roman prison, and scholars would suggest to us that he's underground, and there's no daylight, and 24-7 he's chained to a guardsman that they're swapping out every eight hours or so. And so the Apostle Paul is sitting there, not living his dreams, 
And in that context, he writes the beginning of this letter in verse 3. He says these incredible words, I thank my God. Is that what you would write? I'd be writing, help! <laughs> there was a t- I don't know, this is not in the notes at all, but as I, as I said that, I just said, you ever had just like a preaching flashback? The, ni- the 11 15 will not get this. But I grew up, and I don't know if this show was out here, but there was some kind of show on TV when I was a kid where there was like a little dog that would show up and get people free from stuff. Like the dog could do anything. Anyone ever see a show like this when they were growing up? The Littlest Hobo? Come on. I love you, 930. Come on. Yeah. I don't want to get into a dog debate this morning. But that's why I'd be saying, like, send me the littlest hobo with the key in his mouth. Come on, get me out of this place. Apostle Paul's attitude is, I thank my God. He goes on and he says, in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer, say this together with me, with joy. Come on, some, you know, sometimes we just view prayer as spiritual drudgery, right? Come on, somebody. You ever pray with some serious joy? You ever pray for people and think about them and get excited about what God's doing in their life? You ever pray with some joy? Come on, somebody. I want you to know right now, and and I don't think we've ever mentioned this yet, that our prayer team has now uh, grown to the place, and and praise God for Jane Beaumont and her leadership, that right now there are people praying for you from the start of our first service until the end of our second service. There are people praying for you, and they're praying with some joy. Come on, somebody. They're praying for you right now. He says, I pray, I I don't just have joy in myself, in my attitude. I pray with some joy because of your partnership in the gospel from uh, from the first day until now. (coughs) Then watch, he goes on and he says, and now I'm sure of this. Like this is one thing you can take to the bank, you can be sure of 100%. There's certainty in this thing right here. Being sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ. Here's Paul in a jail cell, not seeing his dreams fulfilled, saying, come on, Philippian church, that dream God gave you, that vision God gave you, that thing's going to be fulfilled. Come on, Philippian church, what God started in you, it's going to be fulfilled. You see, Paul's not just flipping his attitude in a prison. He's also flipping, he's sitting in a place of unrealized expectations, telling a church God's going to fulfill yours. Come on, flip it, church. Come on, now flip it. So I want to talk this morning on three keys to the flip. Three keys to your flip. How do we live with an attitude that's unexpected in the midst of all that's going on in our lives? Three keys to the flip. Here's the first one. If we're gonna live with a flipped attitude, unexpected, not like what's going on in our lives, number one, we just need to remind ourselves to constantly celebrate what's good. Celebrate. You got anyone in your life like this? They're just like, they're always celebrating the good. There's always something in their world worth celebrating. I love this one leader. Pastor Troy used him recently. Him and I have gone through his book, Brenda Bouchard. He, he, he says this. He says, start your day asking this question. What, what, what can I get excited about today? I think that's just a brilliant way to wake up. What am I excited about today? Come on. 
what could I celebrate? I always constantly be thinking about what's the good that's going on. The Apostle Paul knows he needs people like this in his life, which is why in the second chapter, he tells us about his friend Timothy. And he says this to the church. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. Why? This is so good. So that I too may be cheered. How is he going to get cheered? By news of you. I love this so much. Apostle Paul is, you would, I would expect Paul to say, I hope to send Timothy to you so that he can help build you up in your faith. So that God's, that's not what he says. I hope to send Timothy to you. Why? It's a purely selfish reason. I want him to text me back and tell me how good you're doing. Right? He's, I'm not sending you Timothy because I want him to help. I want him to help teach you and do it. I'm sure that's part of what's going on. But he's saying, you know what, church? You need to have people that you're just like, hey, I want you to go and tell me all the good that's going on over there. That's why, I'm just, that's why I'm sending you Timothy. I just want him to tell me every good thing that God is doing. Come on, well, part of our responsibility as leaders in the house of God is just to be constantly bringing you things to celebrate. I believe that. I believe it. I think it's just so healthy for your soul. Can we do that today, this morning? Can we just think of some things that we need to celebrate? Let's just go there. First of all, let's celebrate eight families this morning. Come on, saying we're all in bringing our kids, raising them in the house of God. But yeah. You know, I want to celebrate today, and I, I, I see some great friends of hers. I want to celebrate that we've got someone like Shirley Tan in our church. Come on, somebody. Some of y'all don't know why we're celebrating Shirley right now, but some of y'all do. Shirley right now, she's a registered nurse. She's also one of our, our group leaders. Right now, she's volunteering at a small hospital in Uganda. And recently, one of her posts talked about how she went uh, uh, with a group of volunteers to set up a clinic in a small, remote, rural village for a day to test people for HIV. And she talked about how they went to this village. This village gets medical attention once a month when a team of volunteers will go and give the best medical attention that they can without any resources or equipment, just what they can carry in. She talked about how they actually just pulled benches from the community, laid them out, and those benches that they found became the clinic that they ran the testing on throughout the day. And Shirley was there volunteering her own time. Uh, I'm sure paid her own way. I don't know whether she did or not, but, uh, but she's there testing people for HIV with rudimentary tests. She said, nothing like we would use here. It's like a little bit more of like, I'm going to do the best I can to tell, and then i got to kind of figure it out from these rudimentary, simple little blood pressure tests that I can take and the symptoms that I see. And based on that, we're going to decide whether or not we can give you some medication. I just want to take a moment right now and celebrate that we've got someone like Shirley Tan in this church. Come on, somebody. We love you, Shirley. You know what we celebrate a lot around here is when people make a decision to follow Jesus. I don't think there's anything better that we should celebrate and ingrain into the DNA of what we celebrate than when people make a decision to follow Jesus. So I want to celebrate today that last week, three people filled out cards after the service saying, today I made a decision to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. (laughs) We celebrate that every single Sunday is someone's Sunday. That's amazing. And so I want to celebrate, if you're part of our dream team, or you've ever given and invested financially in Resonate Church, I just want to celebrate together that because you created an atmosphere for someone to come in and experience the life-changing presence and power of God, that now 170 people have made decisions for Jesus Christ in just under two years that we've been running as a church. Come on, we praise God for that in Jesus' name. I celebrate the generous heart that's rising up in this church. I mean... Yeah, I, it's just amazing to me the generous spirit 
that is rising up in this house. In an area of the world where it is more expensive to live than almost anywhere else in the world, where everyone's budgets are as tight as they could possibly be because of rent and all the other things going on, that we've got a generous house that says, hey, this isn't just for me. I live for beyond me and I invest financially. In fact, not just for us. I want to take a moment and, and just celebrate that since we started the church, there's a lot of ways we've given outside ourselves, but one is we've given now over $45,000 to International Justice Mission. And because we grieve over the fact that there are kids right now today all over the world who are being sexually exploited online in front of a webcam for money by, by caregivers or even at times by parents so desperate for money. And, and, and I, I am thankful that I am a part of a church that would say, come on, not on my watch. And, and I want to just celebrate that right now there are hundreds of kids that have been rescued. Why? Because a rescue mission was enabled by people like you. Come on, somebody. That's worth celebrating this morning. Yeah. <laughs> we celebrate together. We need to celebrate what God is doing in the house. So this gets into our DNA. What does this mean? How does this get into us culturally? It means when you see God doing something great in someone that you're close to in this, in this church, or maybe you're just an acquaintance, that you say it. When I see God, I'm just not going to be afraid to say it. I'm just going to say, hey, hey, Alana, I see God, I see God showing up in you. And the, when you were here this morning at 6.30 a.m., that was just an awesome part of my day because there's so much of the, of the love of God in you that when I see you, I walk away feeling better because you just you change the atmosphere. Come on, somebody. Just, we encourage one another, right? Now it's just like fluffy words. Like, what do you actually see God doing that is real and so, so good? Well, that's the first thing. You know, I think there is a place of spiritual maturity, and Paul is going to call us to it, where you just rejoice no matter what. Like, it's like, I'm going to rejoice no matter what. But you can't get to no matter what unless you start taking the baby steps of, well, i got to find something to celebrate and be cheerful about right now. Like, it's not no matter what yet, but I am going to take the step of give me something to celebrate. I'm looking for it. I'm seeking it out. How's the second way that we flip it? That is the first way that we find stuff to celebrate. But this is the second way. What do you do when the report is bad or there is no good report? How do you flip it then? I believe it's this. It's that you celebrate future joy when there's no good joy today. It's future joy. And this is what we see in the life of the Apostle Paul. He, he's got to celebrate some future joy in some areas of his life where things are not going well or there is a bad report. Uh, the Apostle Paul is, is uh, in many ways finding out that there are negative things going on in the world around him. And so he's got to put his mind out onto not just where he is today, but some future joy. Here's where there's a report that's not so good. He's not living his dreams. Like the Apostle Paul's job description is he's a traveling apostle. And when you're a traveling apostle, you just do a couple things. Number one, you travel. Number two, you plant churches and you tell large crowds about Jesus, and he's not doing any of it. And so in the area of his calling, Paul is not able to fulfill the thing that he thinks and believes that he is called to do. Nevertheless, God is putting in place 
some future joy and something big on out ahead of where Paul is today. What is that? Well, today we're sitting in Coquitlam at 1026 on February the 17th in the year 2019 studying a letter that Paul wrote because he had the time and the opportunity to write. Why did he have time and opportunity to write? Because he wasn't doing the thing that he thought he was supposed to be doing. We've got a lot of the Bible today because Paul couldn't do the stuff he wanted to do, which means that in your life, a lot of the good God wants to bring up out of your life is gonna come out of the season when it doesn't feel like you're able to do the thing that you want to do. We look to future joy when there's no joy in what's going on today. The Bible tells us that this is how Jesus endured the cross. Writer of Hebrews says that it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. I mean, that's just so uh, direct. The way Jesus endured the cross was joy that wasn't happening in the moment but was out front. You see, when Jesus took the weight of your sin and the weight of my sin, and he took it on the cross and he was brutally murdered for the sins of all mankind for all time. There was no joy in that moment, but he was thinking about future joy. He was thinking about the moment when you and I would believe and receive the love that he was pouring out for us in that joyless moment. He was thinking about future joy. So how do we get there? How do we think about future joy? It's just, it's just asking, it's asking some simple questions. When there's nothing to celebrate today, I gotta ask God the question, God, what are you trying to teach me right now? What are you doing in me right now? What could come of this in the future that right now I can't see? So the first thing we're gonna do to flip it is we're gonna get around people that celebrate and we're going to go looking for some good reports. And we're going to wake up every day and we're like, what can I be excited about what God wants to do in my life today? But then when there is no good report, we're going to ask the question, God, what are you doing today? What's the future joy? What's the thing that I can't see that you might want to show me that you want to do through my life? Paul's got joy at all times. He's got joy sitting in a Roman prison cell. Which brings us to the final and third way that I believe we can flip it. From the expected response to life into a great attitude, in fact, an attitude of constant joy. I believe it's this. It's to make our life about meaning and not about moments. It's to, it's to get our joy rooted in meaning, not just in moments. See, one of the reasons I think that joy is so elusive in our culture is that we're chasing after happiness in moments. I mean, there's so much challenge in the world. Every single week as a pastor and as a leader, and I'm sure in your world as well, we're just constantly hearing about the challenges that people are going through in their lives. And so what, the way that we generally respond to this is to try and say, well, I need to kind of work up enough happy moments to compensate for all the challenge. And if the happy moments can outweigh the bad moments, then that probably is what equates to joy. When you and I were never meant to try and chase after enough happy moments to outweigh the challenge or the difficult moments. No, we were meant to actually have joy that was seated and rooted in meaning. So Paul's sitting in a prison, and he's got joy that's rooted in the meaning of his life. He's not doing what he wants to do, and he's not even experiencing 
a lot of joyous, happy times. They're not sending him birthday cakes in there. Nevertheless, he's got joy in the fact that he's still able to see God moving. There's meaning to his life. He's able to help some other people along. And he tells us about it in verse number 14. He says, listen, <coughs> he says, most of the brothers haven't become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now, hold it just a minute, Paul. Why is this group of people sharing more boldly their faith about Jesus because they see that Paul has been arrested and put in prison for sharing his faith in Jesus? Is there anything about that that makes any sense? On the surface, it makes no sense whatsoever. Why are they more bold because they see Paul in prison for preaching. I, I believe it's, it's this. That they're watching Paul, and they're able to see that Paul, in the worst case scenario, their biggest fear, the reason I would not have boldness is I'd be worried about getting thrown in jail for preaching about Jesus. But then I got this buddy Paul, and he's over here, and he got thrown in jail, and his emotional stability didn't get thrown out the window. He's not been shipwrecked in his soul. In fact, he's writing to me and telling me repeatedly that I should be joyous in what God's doing. You see, if I can see you walking through the difficult thing that I'm afraid of, and it's not shipwrecking you, I'm going to have less fear to do the thing that I see you doing. Paul is able to find meaning in seeing, listen, if I'm in here and I'm having joy and it's causing a whole bunch of people to speak about Jesus, well, then I'm going to have some joy myself. Paul understands that it's all, always only ever about Jesus. And so he says in verse 21, the most iconic verse in this text of chapter number one, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So he knows, listen, if they go ahead and execute me, which he's half expecting while he's sitting, and he doesn't know whether they're going to execute him or not, but it's likely they're going to. And so he says, I don't know how God's going to deliver me. Either he's going to deliver me by taking me into eternity to see Jesus. You see, Jesus, who for future joy poured out his love for me, you know where I really want to be right now? I want to be face to face in the presence of that love because I can get a little bit of it here on this earth, but there's something about the best love of all time that I could get face to face, like to, to die would be gain for me. But then if I was to stay in the body, he says this in verse 25, he says, it's going to be fruitful for me. What am I going to do? I would continue with you for your progress and your joy in the faith. So he's like, if I stay around, what's the good of staying around? Your progress and your joy. It's, it's all about meaning. It's all about other people. Your progress, your joy. If I stay, that's the good I'm going to be celebrating. It's meaning. That's why Next Steps is such a big part of what we do around here. Because we understand we're not just trying to build a church. That's important and that's good. We're trying to build you. We're trying to discover the purpose that God put on your life and see you released to make a difference in the life of others. Why? Because we are never going to overcome the challenges of this life with enough happy moments. No, we overcome it with deep-rooted, constant meaning fulfilled throughout the days of our lives. So maybe you're here this morning and you're like, Pastor, I don't think there's any amount of meeting that could overcome what I've been through in my life. Like any amount of meeting, like just helping people out or whatever, any kind of meeting that, that God could pull from my life. There's no meaning that could compensate for what I'm going through right now. And it might feel like that's the truth and I have no reason to debate or to doubt that, but the Apostle Paul does. <laughs> like I can't challenge you on that point because I've not gone through what you've gone through, but Paul's been through more. He writes to us about his moments in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 where he says, 
Five times I received the 40 lashes minus one. Why was it called 40 lashes minus one? 40 was the number they thought it would take to kill you. So they wanted to take you right up to the point of death and then stop one before that. Tells us, and who does this happen to, right? It's like getting struck by lightning three times. He was shipwrecked on three separate occasions. One of those occasions, he tells us that he had to spend a whole night and a whole day in the open sea swimming. The other one of those times, he ends up on an island, goes and he makes himself a fire, and a snake comes out and jumps on him and bites him in the hand. He tells us that he got stoned. And it's kind of difficult to say that on the west coast of Canada because some of y'all are thinking, at least he got a little relief. No, not that kind of stoned. <laughs> like the with rocks kind of stoned. <laughs> so Paul is fully equipped to say to us, listen, your meaning in God can overcome any amount of difficult moments. So what do we do with this church? How do we react and respond to this together as a church? Well, come on, I think we just need to get ourselves around some Timothys. Come on, we need Timothy to begin to call things out within us. And to, we need to say, hey, give me something good to celebrate. We need to wake up and say, what can I be celebrating today? That's the starting point. I'm going to get to spiritual maturity that you want me to get to, Paul, which is joy always, no matter what. But listen, I'm a little bit junior right now, so I'm going to take baby step number one, and I'm just going to start looking for some good to celebrate. But then I'm going to take step number two, which is a little bit more difficult, and I'm going to start looking at the future joy. And I, when I got nothing in the moment to celebrate, I'm going to step back and say, God, what are you doing in this moment? And then I'm going to take a step, and I'm going to live for meaning over a moment. Come on, church. We are going to party with some purpose. Come on, we don't just party because we want to party. We don't just want to party because we think it's a feel-good emotion in church. No, we party with purpose because the Bible says spiritual maturity looks at like joy at all times. And so in a few moments, we're going to go back into a time of worship together. But right now in this atmosphere of God's word, just undoing our hearts and pointing to some stuff, let me pray for you. Would you bow your heads? Father, we thank you that you've been speaking to us in this place about joy. And God, we just look, we look within God and we look at, at where we're at today right now. And maybe we just need to take a moment before you and say, God, God, I've missed it. I have my, my, I have my eyes on my moments, God, and, and maybe I've, I've been missing some of the celebration. Oh, I understand that in the context of church and maybe a religious experience that has always maybe to you seemed like it should be a weighty, heavy, and painful thing, that it's difficult to believe that spiritual maturity looks like joy at all times. That's what the Bible says. Oh, there's a weightiness. Yeah, there's a responsibility. Yeah, there's a, a seriousness. Yeah, there's... But we walk through those things because we've got constant joy. We're able to uphold the burden of what other people are going through because... There is a spirit of joy poured out upon our hearts. God, I pray for your house today. Pour out a spirit of joy. Pour out a spirit of love, God, and pour out a spirit of joy on your house. In this moment, I pray, God. Maybe you're here this morning and you, you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's the most important decision you'll ever make. It's not a decision to join a church. That's important, but no, it's a decision 
to follow Jesus. Maybe you're here and you feel like you're far from God and the Bible says that that barrier is sin. Jesus came to bring salvation, in fact, to destroy the sin barrier. So maybe you're here in this place and you say, I've, I've never had that sin barrier destroyed. I've never put my faith in Jesus Christ. Or maybe you're here in your backslidden and you say, like, I'm far from God today because of that sin barrier. Today in this place, you're just one heartfelt prayer away from closeness with God and God destroying that sin barrier because of what Jesus has done for you. So that's how we're going to close our service together today is we're actually going to take a moment to pray. And right where you are, that won't center you out or embarrass you in any way, simply going to pray for you. If that's you and you'd say, Pastor Shane, would you include me in that prayer? I want my sins forgiven. I want closeness with God. I want to put my faith in Jesus Christ today. I want that sin barrier destroyed. And I want to be close to this God who calls me to this place of freedom and joy. Would you just slip your hand up in this moment and say, yeah, include me in that prayer. Come on, church, this is what we're about. This is this moment right here. Yeah, see your hand. Anyone else? Join with this one saying yeah today. No one's looking around. It's just between you and God. Let's, let's pray together. If you raised your hand or maybe you didn't, but today you're praying, just pray this with me from your heart. Say, dear Jesus, I've given you my life today. My full surrender. Oh, thank you for loving me destroying the sin barrier and in this moment restoring closeness to God making me come alive spiritually from death to life I choose to follow you make you the Lord of my life in Jesus name Amen come on church can we celebrate you made that moment.